everyone, welcome back to Always Evolving. My guest today is super spiritual. I mean, he was a pastor. He's written so many huge books about spirituality. He really analyzes life, gets curious about it. And he's a great guy. And I look forward to getting to know him. His name is Rob Bell. Thanks for joining us, Rob. <laughs> You're really a, a guy who has an interesting outlook on spirituality, very successful, uh, have a big following of people that really like your message and what you have to say. And we just found out right before this that we're neighbors. Yes. Rob, for, for our listeners, tell us about you. Well, where should I start? Okay, so here's what happened. Here's the minute version. I was in a band in college. The band broke up because everybody had to get jobs. And somewhere in there, I had always been fascinated with the big questions of life. What are we doing here? What kind of universe is this? How, how do you forgive people who have wronged you? Like all the big questions, the intimate questions about how you even figure out what you're here to do. I'd always found that really, really interesting. And somehow in the terror of what am I going to do with my life, I was like, I'll go study the big questions. In the world I came from, my parents had taken us to church growing up. I was like, oh, I'll go to seminary. There's a master of divinity degree, which was like, okay. And then I went and did that. And I got a job after that in a church because I was like, apparently that's what you do. And, and let me ask you just real quick on that point. So be, were you in a band before or after you went back to study? Um, the whole time. There the was always time. bands there. But the main band in college, when that band broke up at the end of my senior year, and I was like, oh, everybody's supposed to go get jobs. I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. It was just existential. I had no plan B. But I did know, that how, why do people act the way they do? Is this thing headed somewhere? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? All of the questions that people have been wrestling with for thousands of years, to me, was always like, that's the juice. That's the mojo. That's the zhuzh of life. And so I went to seminary and studied ancient texts and studied the Bible in detail and learned Greek and learned Hebrew and how have people answered some of these big questions. And then I got a job in a church, which was funerals and weddings and sermons. And then I was like, there's got to be some better way to talk about this. So in my late 20s, I started a church. And it was like a giant art experiment. It was like every idea you have with your friends late at night when you're like, what if you, there was no offering, so there was no weirdness with religion and money? What if we gave the money people did give away to the poor? Like or, or, you know, did, let me ask you, did you have the question, why don't they give the communion and make it some really tasty treat? Like why they got to give this? Right, watered down nonsense. And so literally, we should write all our own songs. We should meet like in an old warehouse so the building isn't a distraction. All the ideas that you're like, we tried them and it, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people came. And by the time I'm 30, there's 10,000 people. It's the fastest growing church in American history. And suddenly I was always the guy sticking it to the man, not the man. <laughs> suddenly there's millions of dollars of budget. I remember at one point, there were 80 staff members. It was awesome, but it was like, as you can imagine, a giant thing. And then I would I had to do the sermon three times on Sunday to, uh, and pe imagine people with like those orange parking vests and the things like airplanes directing people where to travel. Like that's what it was. Where was and this church? In Michigan, Grand Rapids, Michigan. So it was a scene. It was a spectacle. 
And I could literally, we could pick a cause, microfinance bank in sub-Saharan Africa, HIV AIDS crisis in this country. And, and people would like, we could like a million dollars we could give to causes like overnight. I mean, it was, oh, it was an extraordinary thing to be a part of. And then I kept going. I just, you got to keep exploring. You got to keep evolving. And then Oprah gave me my own TV show. I did that for like an episode <laughs> and then it got canceled. And then I do shows here at um, Largo in West Hollywood and I tour and I write books and I do, I rent out the improv and do events for artists and activists and CEOs and I couldn't be having more fun. So there you go. There's the two minute version. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> great. I got some questions about that version. Good. Cause Good. I'm always, I'm always super interested and in, not to take you back in time too much, but well, let's do it. I think like, so many people are searching, right? Yes. For meaning, what is the point? Why does it matter? What matters? Why did I care about that a year ago? And today I'm like, who cares? Like, yes. uh, all of a yeah. sudden I'm giving advice as if it's irrelevant. So, you know, it's really interesting that you chose not only to pursue a deeper meaning, but also you found yourself leading, right? Yeah. And at what point did you realize that you wanted to lead? I remember the when I discovered the thing about the band is as I would write these songs and then sing them and then people would sing them back. And that was like part of that was naming what was happening inside of me. You know what I mean? Like, am I the only one who's having these thoughts? I mean, if I could summarize songwriting, am I the only one feeling this? And then you say it, sing it. And you find out you're not the only one. So there was like mm. a super basic thing that happened then. But then when I started, when I discovered the sermon as an art form, not as like shame or guilt or judgment or trying to convert people, but the sermon as like a big generous gift, like guerrilla theater meets performance art meets a recovery meeting. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like the sermon as truth telling with love, and that felt so natural. Like, here's some things I've learned. Notice this ancient poem. Notice what this group of people understood about. Notice this ritual that these people, like almost like pointing to history, to science, to art, to sports, to psychology. Look at this wondrous experience we're having. Look at all the different ways that people have interpreted it. Isn't this amazing? It was almost like the wonder and awe business. Mm. Like, look and at how thing. long did you live in the wonder? I know you still are in it today, but I imagine did it? You get to Oz, and then it suddenly was like, <laughs> "That's not the right thing to say, Rob." Well, that's that was actually to be honest with you, like that was the tension is when you get into religion on a big scale, institutions bend towards self preservation. And so what's true at an individual level is always true at the political and the communal level. And institutions bend towards their self-preservation. Somewhere, somebody has to make sure enough money is coming in for the lights to stay on. And so what can easily happen is that evolving, searching, discovering, let's go here. Well, yeah, but we've got the structure built over here. And so that's why in every tradition... The mystics, the enlightened one, the monk, the sage, the guru, they're generally not concerned about how many Instagram followers they have. I know, you know, are I you just, with me on this? I'm with this. you. I, I just met with a client, right? Last week, big, 
famous person that I came in and I helped. And he talked about a specific church that he spent a lot of time and energy in. And all of a sudden, he said, after a period of time, he realized he was just a stepping stone for the next celebrity and the next exposure and the next donation. And it actually left him in a, with a really bad taste in his mouth because he was like, why does this person that's a pastor care so much? Yeah. Yeah, and I his, call it. Yeah. What, what, what do you call it? I call it empire building. Ever so subtly. What's really going on is we're building a thing here. And can you help us build it or not? And mm. ever so subtly, what's so easy is every interaction can be, does this help me build the thing? Does this shore the thing up? Does it make it more stable and secure or not? And that impulse is really, really like you smelled it, right? It's like subtle. It's like just below the surface, like one millimeter below the surface. And you just want to throw up in your mouth because you're like, it's about helping people. It's about serving mm -hmm. and it has to be a gift freely given. If there's anything attached to it, then it sours quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So I lived through all that stuff. <laughs> this is Jess Betancourt, the host of DNA ID, the only true crime podcast that exclusively covers cases solved using forensic genealogy. DNA ID goes behind the headlines to answer your questions about this remarkable new crime solving tool, how it works, how cases are selected, why the cases were unsolved for so long, and how the justice system is addressing it. I include input from law enforcement to give you the inside scoop that we all crave with a straightforward, no-nonsense delivery. You can find DNA ID on any podcast platform. Episodes come out weekly on Mondays. I imagine as you were growing as a, a spiritual leader yeah. that yeah. Uh, people would suddenly uh, maybe treat you differently or think oh that you word. had a oh lot of word. solutions to uh, oh a lot of different things. How do pastors stay within their scope of practice? Oh, you can't believe. Okay, here's how it would work. There was at the peak, I would do the sermon three times in a row so that the service would end. And people would, the three and a half thousand people would be leaving as another three and a half thousand people were coming in and taking their seats. Now I would finish the service. I would finish the sermon. I would stand down in front of the stage and a line would form and imagine anybody in the line, anybody can get in the line and anybody can ask you anything. I just found out I have stage four lymphoma. What do you have to say to me? Next person. This woman, I just found out she's pregnant. I'm the, like, I don't know if I should tell her husband that I'm the guy. Like, next question. Um, I just lost my job. We have no money. Our kids are hungry. These are our kids. And the line would still be growing and the next service would start. So I had, yeah, I had to do such internal work about my limits, ego, you're not the savior, how do you do what you can to help people, but you also can't help everybody? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was, it was both thrilling and intoxicating and, oh my God, look at what I get to be a part of and ruthlessly humbling all at the same time in, with all the knobs turning up. Like college friends would visit. They'd come on a Sunday and be like, what the, f dude, what is this? <laughs> They would literally just be like, how, what is going on here? How are you doing this? What is happening here? Did you get to incorporate, <laughs> I imagine, some of the arts and the music that you were really passionate about at the time? I imagine oh, you had yeah. some pretty cool shows. Or yeah, Oh, my word. Or we would just say to everybody, 
we're taking everything off the walls, bring art you've created. And we're just going to do like a massive art show with like a thousand pieces of, oh yeah, the, the creativity, the, oh yeah, it was, it was insane. So it got enormous. And then what happened? Like, well, at one level, what happened is I just kept exploring. So, so here's an example. I did a whole series called God is Green. Any coherent spiritual vision of life begins with human beings in proper relationship with the soil. And throughout history, we know if humans don't live on the earth in a sustainable way, everything collapses eventually. Economics, mm -hmm. your political structures, health, nutrition. So for a lot of people in West Michigan at that time, wait, 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 what? We're talking about the earth now? Yes. Or then um, the American... America starting wars around the world. Hold on a second. That's like trillions of dollars that's going to haunt us for generations. Shouldn't the first impulse be no war? Like, isn't that like the most basic? Why do we stockpile nuclear weapons that can blow up the world? So I just kept like evolving, searching, exploring. When we talk spiritual, we're talking how is the world arranged? So if you have a widening gap between rich and poor, everybody is going to suffer at some point. So you mm. can see what happened is the institution is like, God, what's he going to talk about next? Mm. Where is this going? I don't know. That's the fun of it. Right. Because I imagine they were wanting you to keep leading sermons on Sundays because they were so popular. But at a certain point, you had to have been like sermoned out. Yeah, well, yeah. And then what happened, like I started studying quantum physics. I started doing all this stuff on quantum physics and how matter itself, the chair you're sitting in, the microphone you're using, bones, flesh, blood, is actually energy and relationship. Um, and I remember a friend of mine was in a band and I convinced his booking agent to book me in punk clubs around the country mm. for like a underground speaking tour. So like I went out and did 25 cities in 28 days talking about spirituality and quantum physics and poetry. And um, <laughs> so you can see what happened is I kept how far can this go? Like, mm -hmm. where else can this work? Because I noticed that when I did my work in spaces that weren't labeled religious or spiritual, that's when it really got fun. Because mm -hmm. everybody wants to talk about this stuff. Yeah, everyone so when does. You're, when you're a Christian megachurch pastor, people have a whole world of assumptions. And lots of people are going to be like, I'm not going to that. But the moment you're out in a club doing an hour show, now you're. it was like, Oh, that's home. That's where I'm supposed to be. Hmm. So it's almost like it became about the architecture and the space of it. I want to talk to everybody everywhere about what it means to be human. And I'm rooted in a tradition. So I have some texts and traditions that have interesting things to say about this, but it's about being human. It's not about getting you into my religion. You know what I mean? Right. See how that shift. And so then it just became following that. So would you say that your religion is no religion? <laughs> I'm saying any good religion subverts itself at some point. Any good religion moves beyond itself yeah. at some point. Because it's yeah. like, well, there's this great line, Jesus says to love your enemy. Well, if you love your enemy, that dissolves the category of you and enemy. Right. So if you actually take it seriously, you move beyond the categories that you started with. There's an inherent evolution and trajectory built into it. Mm. So that's what kept happening is I kept finding myself 
in all these unexpected places with people going, yeah, talk about that. That's really, that's helpful. And so I just kept following it. And here we are now in your neighbor in West Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So much of what I am passionate about is mixing personal development with art. So, you know, I, I like to hybrid everything because yeah. art to me is just authentic, being in the moment. It's even taking pain and creating or uh, happiness. Whatever we're creating, when we're in action and we're creating it, it's just life becomes a little more magical. Absolutely. And, Couldn't agree more. And so what are you currently creating? Oh, man. Oh, here's here's I right before COVID, I started this new thing. You would love this. 35 people at the improv. So I rented that lab, the front room at the improv, 35 people from around the world for two days. And the first day, the first person walks up and sits knee to knee with me. And they tell me what they're working on and how they're stuck. Mm. And then I just tell me more about that. They, maybe they do like a, a minute summary. And then I say, tell me more about that. Now, when you said that, it's like your shoulders, like what's in sag? Like what's, what's that? What's that about? Why did you mm. name it that way? And then you watch the person get unstuck. And then the next person comes up and sits down and they, and it's artists, activists, CEOs, inventors. There's no rhyme or reason to who's there. I love it. And it becomes like, cause everybody's learning. Everybody's seen themselves in the person in the chair. Yeah, like you, you've seen Marina Abramovich when she did this and people sat with oh. her, right? Oh, yes. Okay. So Unbelievable. I'm like, <laughs> Unbelievable. But at least we're talking now, you know, and someone <laughs> can each, not just look in somebody's eyes, right? Um, I love that. You know, I was throwing these dinner parties called The Universe Decides where I would have this wheel and everyone put in their current struggle into the wheel and under every plate we had masks and we would play out everyone's roles. And I had this vision of like, oh, I would love for this to be a show in Vegas where you never know yes, walking into right. a room. If right. you're gonna be called on, it's all spontaneous. It all unfolds. It's very theatrical. And um, it's kind of still in like my heart of what I wanna get into because I just think it's, there's no reason that like theater or performance like you're describing which you're giving a real practical reason where you don't you know i have yep. music playing people walk in the, my house they're like what the fuck is wrong with you mike <laughs> i'm like no the universe is deciding tonight the universe is deciding who we call upon <laughs> i love it i love well you think about polarization and particularly political polarization polarization is the inability to see yourself and someone else mm. so you're watching them and you, there's nothing about anything they're doing or saying that you can see yourself even remotely, as opposed to, oh, yeah, when I'm resentful, I don't make the best choices. Mm. When I feel like I'm missing something and like the system is against me, I do get angry. And so what's really interesting to me is creating spaces where people can watch somebody else. It's almost like building musculature you're getting better and better at finding yourself. If I look far enough inside of me, I find you. If I look far enough inside of you, I find me. It's almost like a musculature that our culture is lacking. You know, you still could do this and we could get a giant, um, <laughs> like what they have at Starbucks? Yes, I've been doing it on Zoom. And weirdly okay. enough, I sit in this chair um, in my front yard and do it on Zoom and it never ceases to be riveting to me. Like what people are making, um, and then all the interesting, you wouldn't believe how many people 
they're stuck on whatever it is they're doing because somebody along the way, an editor, a producer, mm. an authority figure, uh, an expert, somebody they consider legitimate, I'm air quoting, told them, uh, no, your book needs to be 70,000 words. Uh, no, your business needs to reach these benchmarks. And I literally just have to like reach in the screen and it's like, okay, I'm taking that person off your shoulder because the only interesting question is how do you do it? Yeah. Wow, no, you're that, so that, right. That person is cluttering your psychic space like crazy. You've got all this stuff in your head. Thank them and then get rid of that voice because. I love gotta, it. No, you're so right. I love it because um, I find that in the even in the coaching world, I, I because I worked with arts and entertainment for many years, it's not just, it, just two years ago is when I started doing television and yeah. all of this is I had the most non-traditional ways of helping people. Like if I had a girl who was going on set and she was really uncomfortable and we would be, she would be talking about how she was having body dysmorphia and she was having a bad day. All of a sudden when I would walk her down the hallway to go on, I'd be in a thong and I'd be walking down the hallway <laughs> and just in that moment, it shift the mood and I would go throw clothes on and, and she would high five me and we'd move on. But like, <laughs> I found that there's this idea of like how you should do it. Life is so infinite. Yes. And we yes. all have a light inside of us that needs to be like how we create, how we shine. And what you're describing, which I love, is like helping people realize that that voice that they're listening to, I call it the should police or the... Yes. Yes, we don't should on ourselves. There will be yeah. no shooting on ourselves here. Were you always a coach? Were you born a coach? Well, I no. I, I, well, I was born to play basketball. Then I, got, I, then I did drugs. I got addicted to meth. Uh, and then I went to treatment. I became a counselor, interventionist. And it transitioned quite a bit. I, I, uh, I love, and really, like, even why I'm doing what I do now is I really want to do international work. I've been to Iraq a few times, helping Yazidi women. I went alone just because... I just, which is a whole trip because culturally you can't get the, the, you know, in that culture, the babies can scream and they're loud and I'm sitting there and they're all speaking different <laughs> languages. And I, I have this vision of what I'm going to do. But um, I, I, I just love creating new ways of helping people either feel better about themselves or just have new ways of looking at things. So, And did you, did you come from a particular like, therapeutic tradition or a helping or a science or was it your recovery and your own experience that sort of shaped no, how you did I, yeah so i went to school for alcohol and drug abuse counseling it's like you get your bachelor's in minnesota yeah. and so trained as a clinician counselor then trained as an interventionist and then uh i found myself suddenly working with entertainers and first it started off doing crises um and then all of a sudden it became helping people live in their art um, mm. and how to be authentic and how to let go of all the barriers that are keeping them from, from anything, like anything in their life. And, you know, I've been trained in psychodrama and I've have had a ton of experience in different art forms. And mm -hmm. it's always been interesting to me. I, I just love art period. So whatever someone can create, I'm always yeah. like, it makes you spot. I love seeing it. They love creating. So it, I kind of bounce back and forth, though. Like, all of a sudden, I can get into, um, like, I own a treatment center in West Hollywood. So I've owned a center for the past 14 years called Cast Centers. My next book is all about decision making. It comes out in December. And uh, 
I'll send you a one decision box. It's like a box of all decisions. And I'm going to send you a box <laughs> into your neighbor. But so, um, yeah. Is it a given day for you? Like, is it scheduled appointments or is it like you get a call and so-and-so is going down in flames and you need to go to the house right away and... Well, it you was know, that. It, yeah, it was that. Kind of stuff. It was that for many years. Now I have a, a, other people who handle it. I'm I'm pretty. Um, I don't have the patience I once had. Um, I feel oh, like really? I, yeah. But patience to sit and wait for somebody to have the lights come on. What is in that world? In that world, yeah, I don't have the patience. I don't have the patience of dealing with managers and agents yeah. and yeah. the whole thing. Like. I would rather like I create a script about coaches and, yeah. you know, and yeah, I'll get phone calls and we have a great clinical team of psychologists and coaches, but I, I've kind of transitioned more into not being, uh, I, I spent it kind of similar to you probably in churches for me, I spent years traveling the world with entertainers. So after a while I was kind of like, what's next? Once I feel like I master something. Oh my goodness. On to the next one. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, yeah. it doesn't even matter what the money is. It's kind of just like, yeah. what's next? Boy, this life's yeah. short, you know? Oh, the moment I know I can do it, I'm like, okay, next. Yeah. Give me, give me the thing. I always go in the direction of a thing where I'm like, I don't know if I could pull that off. And if it bombs, it'll really bomb excellent. Let's go in that direction. Yeah. That's the only thing worth doing. When you talk about these sessions that you're doing over Zoom, do you charge for those or do yeah. they sign? Okay. Yeah. So you and charge have, and And I do it in groups of three. Okay. Yeah, I do it in groups of three. And I say at the beginning, the really interesting thing is not just what you getting unstuck and on your way and figuring out your next step, but it's you watching the other two and build, almost like building the musculature, like you're going to s watching them because down the road, it's you getting the ability to see how the creative process works. And how does someone get in these triplet groups? <laughs> just on my site. It's they can go to your site. site. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, 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 and I like, and I'm like you, I don't know anything ahead of time. I don't know who it is, where they are in the world, a heart surgeon, an art teacher in South Africa, a motivational speaker in Qatar, and a mom who has a podcast in Ohio. Give me the most random assortment of humanity because that's what's going to have like the, the interesting magic to it. And how long are these sessions? <laughs> oh, 90 minutes. 90 minutes. And I just, I mean, you don't have to discuss fees on here, but it's helpful. Like how much are these? Oh, like uh, I think somebody pays 300 bucks. That's it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. My roots have such a punk rock, do-it-yourself, lean and mean, do something hopefully like as good as possible, but then, you know, once you're a pastor, it's for everybody. So, you know what I mean? When people are like, you should do corporate, like you could be... I want to come. I want to come to one of your groups. I'll pay 300 bucks okay, to be good. one of these no, groups. You'll, just, you'll, be, you'll, be on the, you'll be on the friend rate which is just, you know, the bro rate. No, I'd like to pay. I'd like to pay. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't not let me pay. Um, this is really cool though. For 300 bucks, people can be a part of a spontaneous group to work on themselves. Yeah. And pastors, people who are ex-pastors, I'm friends of a buddy of mine's Hank Fortner. I don't know if you know You're who friends Hank. with Hank? I got Hank out of what he was in. I thought I did. I thought that was what I thought. Then we I did. double teamed oh, it. Oh my word. 
Oh my word. He's yeah, in the entertainment I, now. Is he not in entertainment? And I, I walked with him through that whole deal. Me you too. You were the other guy walking. I was the him. other guy. Ladies and gentlemen, listening to whatever this is podcast, we're now discovering, oh, that's my, that's my man right there. He actually, one of his stories is inspired in my first book. Really? Uh, yeah, the book Best Self. But um, So what does is, what is your personal life look like uh, in West Hollywood? My wife, Kristen, and I have been married for 26 years. And 26, wow. She's, uh, it's been unbelievable. Like, so she and I have had this thing going. When we got married, it, we had this sense that the whole thing was an adventure. And here was this person that, that we got to go on it with. So that's been like at the heart the whole time. Was like, let's just mm. follow it where it leads. So staying in the same place, stability, all of that sort of stuff was never the goal. It was always, let's follow this, see where it takes us. Three kids, Trace just graduated from UCLA. And he and I are starting to work together. So we're about to release our first project together, teaching together. And Rob, you have a book out. Let's talk about your book. Oh yeah, everything is spiritual. And the inspiration behind that? The book is about the universe is 13 billion years old. And what we now know from the Big Bang is that there's this bang, a point of infinitely compressed density explodes 13.8 billion years ago. I'm going to tell to you like this is what actually happened with a straight face. But just tell me if I told this to you as this is the explanation, because it is the explanation. But and then three minutes into the life of the universe, all there were were particles, little bits and pieces of energy that began to bond with each other. And when they bonded together, that formed atoms. So then how do we know all this? Right. Right. Okay. Now you're with me. Three minutes into the life of the universe, these atoms appear that the universe had never seen before, which are particles that bonded together. Then 300,000 years into the life of the universe, atoms begin to bond with other atoms, and that forms molecules. The universe had never seen molecules. And then 9 billion years into the life of the universe, molecules began bonding with other molecules, and that forms cells. And 13 billion years in, those cells form complicated systems, and human beings arise, who then, 13.5 billion years into this experience, develop consciousness, the ability to reflect on the fact that the universe has been expanding, endlessly creating new stuff for 13 billion years. Is that the weirdest story you've ever heard? Now, here's what's interesting. (laughs) This universe that we call home is a dynamic place of endless evolving and becoming that never stops creating something new. So you love art. Mm -hmm. Of course you do. You're living in a universe that never stops creating new design. Your love of art is actually an alignment with what this thing has been doing for billions of years. So I set out to write a book on what we know about the nature of this universe and how it never stops changing and growing and expanding and evolving. So when you experience changing, growing, evolving, yes, of course, you're lining yourself up with what this thing has been doing for billions of years. Of course, it feels right. Of course, it leads to good things. Mm. But what I kept coming up with was, how did I come to this? How did I stumble into these ideas? How did I get shaped by all this? So I started writing about how my grandma used to keep cash in her bra. I started writing about how my dad's dad died. 
And then mm. I ended up writing a memoir about the people and places I come from and what it was like to go into this work and what it was like to burn out and what it was like to experience all this criticism and what it was like to be a spiritual leader. And then it's mixed in with all of this science about how the universe is. So I'm showing you from my story so you can see in your story how your story is both intimate and personal and it's also cosmic. Okay. So, and yeah. then, and this is where <laughs> when people read this, that helps them connect the dots as well. And yeah. One of the things I, I tell lots of stories about how everything didn't work and how awkward and weird and strange it was. And yet what a wondrous, extraordinary thing it is to be alive. Mm. And what I kept noticing over the years is when I would ask people, like if I were to ask you, what are the three or four or five events that most shaped you into who you are, you would probably tell me stories about suffering, loss, pain, mm. hitting the wall, rock bottom. So what I noticed interacting with, I don't know how many people over the past, whatever, 25 years, is when we talk about what wakes us up and forms our core and spinal fortitude and our character and integrity, we don't tell stories about the vacation we went on and the new pair of pants we got. You know what I mean? I got a raise. No, right. we tell stories about falling down a flight of stairs and waking up and not knowing. We tell stories. Hmm. So when I say spiritual, I'm talking about whatever that creative dynamic energy is that's present in all of your messes, inviting you to something new. It's like it's lurking there in all the pain and ache and heartache of life. There's something lurking in it that never stops inviting mm. you to some sort of new creation. And that's what the ancients meant by the word spiritual. And if someone wants to have a quick like shift where they're like, oh, I'm getting back to being spiritual, right? Yeah. Like, let's say whatever the day's going on, they're not in the moment. What have you found is the quickest way to do that? Uh, or not the uh, quickest necessarily. I'm not, it doesn't need to be a hack, but you know. Just, yeah. Um, the first thing is your mind is endlessly chattering. It's endlessly analyzing, parsing, studying. It's detaching from things, observing them. So the first thing, always take a deep breath and sink down into heart. Because whatever is challenging you, whatever is causing you anxiety right now, heart always knows the next step. Mm. Mind will think and process you out of the next step. I don't know, maybe, should you? What could Heart, all, there's a deep knowing that all human beings possess. You can call it intuition, you could call it spirit, but it, in my experience, there's a deep knowing. And I imagine you have come across a lot of people who have said, oh, I had such a bad experience with spirituality or religion, right? Or what sure. have you. Yeah. And what is the best way to help someone? Um, uh, yeah. Well, I always, 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 when somebody talks about, well, religion is so messed up. Oh, but business mm -hmm. is good. How's government working for you? <laughs> right. So yeah, right. education, your education was perfectly suited That's to your brilliant. unique person. That's brilliant. So I go, religion's a really easy thing to take a stick and beat, which I get, fine. Priests, boring, uh, anti-women, anti-gay. Yeah, fine. Yeah, that's it. But institutions, as a general rule, are capable of, for whatever good, also all sorts of destruction. So let's, instead of calling it 
I mean, you can beat on church. Humans, we have a tremendous ability to make a mess of things. Let's get it right now. Mm-hmm. There, you were burned. And then also, secondly, whenever somebody says they've been burned by religion or burned by the church, I always say, no, that's impossible. You were burned by people. Right. Because otherwise, you're trying to forgive something that's faceless. It's like somebody's angry with the government. You can't be free from that bitterness because it's a faceless who? Flesh and blood. Give me a license plate number and a name. (laughs) We got to talk about people who wronged you. And that's generally where people can be liberated is, okay, actual people. Now we're making progress. Yeah. You know what would be so helpful if you're willing to do this? If a week from this Tuesday, we're not having our empowerment group this Tuesday because of the election. And I know it's people right. will be distracted and we get a few <laughs> thousand people who are going in the yes. chat and whatever. It gets yes. a little hectic. So, but I think we need a we need someone to help us uh, bring together afterwards, meaning a conversation or yeah. uh, that I think would just be so helpful I just have a gut feeling like you would be really good at it. And it's my me double dipping on trying to figure out a way to get you to do it. Um, <laughs> I've actually been doing a lot, especially the past couple of months. I've been doing a lot of teaching on there's an ancient pattern of orientation, disorientation, reorientation. And that we are actually right now in an epic bigger than at any time in our lifetime, an epic stage of disorientation and whenever you find yourself personally collectively politically in disorientation all of your previous reference points like your stable ground aren't there like they used to be Mm. and there are generally two human responses to disorientation the one is to dig in your heels and desperately try to go back to how it was which generally involves an idealizing of how it was. Let's just make it great again. Let's just gloss over the things that actually were really broken back there because I'd rather have that security than this destabilization. So in times of like a pandemic and times of social upheaval, you'll see one response is to let's just go back. Hmm. But the universe only goes forward. So Hmm. that's why it feels like, no, no, the answer isn't to go back there. The other response is to let the pain and disorientation break you open and open you up to new possibilities that you never considered before. Mm. And you can see right now, I mean, this thing is classic ancient pattern. So, for example, the moment there's a shutdown and the economy seems to wobble, let's just get the economy reopened. Let's just get this thing back on track as opposed to wait a second, this is the world's greatest economy. And after four days of shutdown, it's headed for the the Great Depression. That's a crap economy. Right. The worst thing would be just to try to get it back to that. How about let the pain open you up to, is there some better way to organize this so that it can actually handle a shutdown in case there's a future pandemic? Right. You can see these two forces are the forces right now in the air. Hmm. Yeah, and and my experience, when people see that what they are in is new but not new, this is these are ancient patterns. They've been cycling through for thousands of years. People I've just watched people like, oh my God, thank you. Okay. Good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so politically, let's say, where I know like a lot of people 
have stopped talking to family members or yeah. if you don't think like I think, then don't be my friend. You know, like you right. see every which way, right? Especially right, for us, right. we're in West Hollywood, which yeah. is, you know, activism capital, right? So yes. what do you suggest to someone who's doesn't want to carry other people's stress? And, you know, like there's a real thing right now where it's like, People are trying to, things are divided a bit. Not everyone, not everyone is. There's a lot of people who aren't. A lot of people with microphones are divided, right? Yes. And what do you think is the best way for someone who is open and, you know, open to evolution and things changing, but also doesn't want to get in arguments and wants to avoid drama? Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing, you cannot take people where they don't want to go. Mm. So yeah, fine. You can just endlessly send Facebook articles to your <laughs> Uncle Paul, right? Like Uncle Paul, his world works for him. So you have to let him wake up like you woke up. Otherwise, your enlightenment literally becomes an obstacle to somebody else's. Mm. And for so many people, wherever they're coming from, they experience something new, bigger, wider, more expansive. And they're so happy for the jailbreak that they immediately rush back in and try to drag all their family members, roommates, siblings, former business partners. And for those folks, like it, there's, it's still, they're not in enough pain. It still works. Mm. So once you see, you can't unsee. Once you taste, you can't untaste. Once it gets bigger, wider, more expensive, more evolved, you can't go back. So what, what's interesting historically is there's often with innovation comes hand in hand with loneliness mm. because, what man, we all started out together. I know, but you kept going. It's that feeling when you run into somebody that you like went to school with and in like the first minute, you're like, oh my God, they're telling the same stories. They're like telling the same jokes. They live on the same block. Mm. They're still drinking with the same people. And you're like, I thought everybody got on the train and went somewhere, right? Right. Yeah, you're, you're, by the way, and, and you're so right, even right now, it's someone who will just regurgitate what they read or saw on television. Right. And it's still going, instead of really sitting back going, what do I really think about this? And let me explore it, right. if I am curious, right? They're literally repeating what somebody told them. So in my experience, many people the idea of boundaries, like what do you think is going to happen if you continually interact with them? Like they're not, they have zero curiosity. And what people don't often realize is your newfound evolution, insight, growth is actually profoundly disruptive to this person. Mm -hmm. Because if this person pulls on that thread and actually asks you, where have you been, Mike? Like, what have you learned? Like what's happened? How come you're bigger, wider, more generous, more loving, more, you seem like more, and if they actually listen, that has, I mean, if they're part of the family business, that might have economic dimensions, that might have, um, I mean, there's lots of people who will come to my events and just say, what do you do when the people that you started out with think you've lost your mind, but you're actually more Mm. alive than ever? Because the institution will never tell you, hey, you might outgrow this. That's not good for the body. You know what I mean? That's not good mm. for the donations. So 
institutions rarely tell people you might evolve beyond this because that will threaten the stability of the institution. So people suddenly have these experiences. They travel and they realize there's a bigger world out there. I can't go back and pretend like the world is as small as I used to think it was. And often there's a loneliness that comes with that. Yeah. A loneliness to not be amongst the other well, people. Well, they're like, God, if I go back and hang out where I used to, I'm just so bored. And like, yeah. they're repeating the same cliches. And it's like, you just have to bless them. No judgment, but I got to keep following this. I got to see where it takes me. Like you were saying, Listen, I got to keep going. It's grow or go. I learned that earlier. There you go. I learned that early in my life. It's go. grow or go. It took me my, seven I, minutes. It took me seven minutes and you're like, uh, grow or go. No, one of my supervisors, <laughs> her name was Diane Poole back in the day. I worked at a place called The Retreat in Wyzetta, Minnesota, which was all about creating a spiritual solution for people's alcoholism and addiction. And it had the same efficacy and results as these huge clinical programs because it was really getting down to somebody's heart. And she also was my supervisor. I love her. And anything she said, I would do. And I would ask her questions. And she said, Michael, it comes down to you either grow or you go. <laughs> She's like, you got to grow. And I was like, I've taken That's that to heart. Awesome. And speaking it. of growing, you know, this podcast is called, well, I'm trying to do a good segue out because I know we, we're out of time. <laughs> because it's called Always Evolving, which is basically growing. Including this but episode. I can reduce it. Huh? <laughs> Including no, this I mean, episode. This is, I, actually, you're the longest I've spoken to anyone on my podcast. Oh, really? Um, I really, yeah. When we went to, when it became over Zoom, because I, I'm in my podcast room, I have a whole setup and everything. I can no longer do the show I wanted. And so I felt like I was doing a radio phoner. And all of a sudden I was starting to get bored. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do these. A majority of them I did in 20 to 25 minutes. I was like, I'm doing these fast podcast episodes because yeah. I'm not, I'm not, yeah. you know, it's it just because some people you get them on your podcast and you're like, you don't know if you haven't had a conversation with certain people, you don't know where it can end up. And yeah. sometimes I found myself just going, hey, you know, there's an energy too when you see someone and you can oh, feel absolutely. them. You ever, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, but I really appreciate you coming on this podcast. Did, your website's what? Robbell.com. Rob, wow, that's pretty, you must have got that back in the day. Robbell.com, yeah. Robbell.com to look at all Rob's books. He's had so many Grand Slam New York Times bestsellers. Also, check out his new book, Everything is Spiritual. And anything else you want to say, Rob? I was so glad to meet you. We found our Hank connection. We were off to yes. the races. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. We'll stay in touch and we'll yes. definitely connect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe out on the sidewalk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In masks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, I just gave you a bunch of spirituality. So do me a favor if you want. It would help me out. Subscribe because I'm going to have some great podcast episodes. Also, rate this podcast. I know I say that every week, but it's super helpful. And join our empowerment group. I think I have a good chance of locking in Rob to speak at our empowerment group, which is Tuesdays at 5 p.m. And it's free, free. So go to www. And everyone, you know www's, but it's coachmikebear.com. Enter your info. And uh, it's www.coachmikebear.com. Ha, join. Thanks and talk soon.
The Always Evolving with Coach Mike Bear podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional, medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnoses, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professionals.